I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Three guests this week, but all part of the same podcast. I am pleased to be joined by the three hosts of the Tennis Podcast. David Law, Matt Roberts, and Catherine Whitaker. It is an essential podcast when it comes to tennis. New York Times recently called it the conscience of the game. And David, Matt, and Catherine are on to discuss how the podcast came to existence and the long grind to build an audience, as, uh, as David and Catherine will tell you. Having a global audience for a podcast, how that impacts content, and just how they have put together what has become a really, really important podcast in their sport. So David Law, Matt Roberts, Catherine Whitaker, coming up of the Tennis Podcast. I want to thank everybody for the nice words that they've given to this podcast over the last couple of weeks. Please keep it up. Five-star review and a nice note is uh, always appreciated, but more than that, it keeps the podcast going. So thank you again. All right, and without further ado, David Law, Matt Roberts, and Catherine Whitaker of the Tennis Podcast coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, I'm excited to have these three on the Sports Media Podcast. Catherine Whitaker, David Law, and Matt Roberts are the co-hosts of the Tennis Podcast, which the New York Times recently called the conscience of the game and how the sport communicates with itself. I mean, you cannot buy that kind of publicity, although if you did in the New York Times, it would be a couple hundred thousand dollars, by the way. Um, So good on them. They, um, in all seriousness, they've built the Tennis Podcast up from the ground floor to become... I mean, arguably the most influential podcast in that sport. It's a podcast that's uh, found itself in the top 100 among um, Apple Podcast rankings. It's a really, really interesting success story. And um, and I wanted to bring them on to sort of, you know, on top of talking about tennis, it's sort of like, how do you, uh, how do you build a sports podcast from the, from the ground up and, and get noticed? And with that, pleased to be joined by Catherine Whitaker, David Law, and Matt Roberts, currently... From the U.S. Open Media Room. How are you? How are you? How is this trio? Thank you very yeah, much. Appreciate Thank that. You. Thank you. I know, Catherine. I listened to your last uh, uh, episode. My God, you were putting New York over. Uh, you love New York. I mean, as a New Yorker, it's right speaking to my heart. So I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to do my best to um, direct questions to the three of you specifically. Obviously, you, um, the three of you, sound different. So that's good. But given the sort of the way this podcast works, um, I'll address one of you, but you can certainly feel free to, um, you know, uh, to follow up on an answer and uh, and we'll make that work. I will start with you, David, since for some obscene reason you have wanted to be on this podcast for such a long time, uh, which honestly is befuddling. Uh, You are overvaluing the the sports media podcast on my professional career. And while I am flattered, it is truly insane. Anyway, um, 
tell me if you can, and I know you've told this before, including to the New York Times, but what's the origin story for the three of you? Because as I said at the top, like you all had other jobs and you have taken a leap uh, in many ways to to make this uh, a viable business, which it's become. So let's start from the beginning. Yeah. Well, the beginning is more than 10 years ago now, uh, 2012. Catherine was was working for my company. I, I worked in broadcasting within tennis for BBC Radio as a commentator, but I also ran the media operation at the Queen's Tennis Tournament in the UK just before Wimbledon, and I did some public relations work, and Catherine was straight out of university and, and joined me as, as part of my setup to help me out. Um, but we started to have some pretty passionate sort of conversations in the pub about the sport generally and I realized that she had a lot to say and I had a lot to say and we didn't always agree um, and then we found out that we both loved podcasts and we listened to them all the time we had a similar sort of taste in them I suppose and then one day I think I said to you we're going to start a tennis podcast is that about right yeah there was no question mark it was a <laughs> statement of fact yeah um so that that's what we we did but i mean really when you talk about what we've ended up being able to do and we've we've brought ourselves here we're here for the next two weeks we're going to be doing daily shows from the u.s open which is a heck of a commitment and we're doing it at all the grand slams it was nothing like that 10 years ago as you say we all we had Catherine and i both had a job hers was working for me um me trying to build enough to to keep going but doing this on the side and it is a really slow burning long form process to build an audience as 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 you will know from from trying to do it podcasts don't really have very many viral moments you don't suddenly explode and have a huge audience and so we but we loved doing it, it to me it was a labor of love having a conversation with Catherine about tennis um and that's what we did for for three or four years before one day we met matt and um, matt was a a student at the time and came to work for us just as an intern he had no real aspirations, to be honest. I don't think to be a broadcaster or be on the air. He w he wanted to work in the sport, and he was he was clearly really smart. And one day we just handed him a microphone, um, just to see what he thought about something to do with the tennis that week. And the listeners just loved him. And we we've just all kept going, kept producing it, made loads and loads of mistakes, worked out what works and what doesn't, and finally we seem to be getting somewhere. That I, that's that's I appreciate that. That's a good um, sort of a primer for my audience. Okay, a couple things, and Catherine, and I'll um, I'll go to you. One of the interesting things about tennis, of course, and what you guys do is that you potentially have a global audience, like someone who's English speaking, who's a huge uh, tennis fan in Spain or Italy or Australia or wherever, theoretically could be interested in what you guys do you're obviously uh uk based i would i would think that you have a pretty good um share of audience there and then you have obviously the us and while you're a niche sport there's not many tennis podcasts um and so you you should be able to pick off some people from there if you could can you give me a sense of like who do you how global is your audience and who do you think your audience is Ooh. Um, thank you, by the way, for uh, for giving us an origin story. You've made me feel like a character in a Marvel film, which uh, I very much appreciate. Um, the audience is very global and in increasingly 
So, and it's something we try not to be sort of cripplingly aware of. You know, we we can't disguise our Britishness, nor 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 would we nor would we want to. So, occasionally we'll have a, a touch of British bias. We might talk about you know Cameron Norrie for a few extra seconds than a than a US podcast would, or Heather Watson or Harriet Dart or something like that. I I can already feel your listeners going, "Who on earth are these people?" Um, but anyway, you get the idea. So we you know we don't pretend not to be British but equally we are you know we're conscious that the more we grow the more global our audience becomes and we get a real kick out of um, hearing about far-flung places where where people are are listening to us from you know I I just had a message from a a listener in the Lebanon that you know doesn't doesn't have access to to electricity a lot of the time but but somehow finds a way to download our show every week and you know we love to hear about that sort of thing but I'd say uh, David David's better on the exact numbers and data points and when I say better I mean knows them all religiously like they're tattooed on his brain um, but I think more than 50% of our audience is in the US now, David. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, to be honest, Richard, I say we we haven't had many viral moments. The New York Times was a little bit of a viral moment and that expanded our US audience pretty dramatically. And it had been... Can you... Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, David, but that, that was one of my questions. So we'll just do it now since you brought it up. So you're profiled in the New York Times um, by Matt Futterman. Um, he really writes a glowing review of your podcast. That's obviously a very influential uh, news outlet. What does that What does that mean in terms of tangible metrics? Well, I think on the spot, it probably grew our audience about two or three thousand in the U.S. alone, and you know that was that's a significant number for for us. You know that's a that's a double digit percentage increase on our on our listenership nearly, and. Um, and I think that just the word of mouth really is is the other thing that we were able to get people coming to the show for. But suddenly everybody was talking about that particular article. People within tennis had read it and were talking about it. So I think it gave us maybe a little bit of credibility in a different way. Well, what I would say, Richard, is uh, of course it's given us a boost. But if we've learned anything over the the 10 years of producing this thing it's that it's it's a curve it's always a curve of growth the 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 peaks the peaks don't mean very much because podcast listeners are either sticky or they're not there are very few sort of and i'm this way about podcasts that i listen to i either generally listen religiously or i kind of don't bother i think you're either sticky and you buy in completely or you know, you'll listen to one one episode and then just drop off. So if you get a if you get a big peak, which we occasionally do, obviously New York Times an extreme example of that. Or if we if we get a big interviewee, sure, we'll draw in some casuals, but it it doesn't necessarily mean loads in in the long run curve. I don't think. Uh, all right, one I will uh, you know one more um, you know I, I will get to Matt in a in a second. I do want to ask. Uh, you, David, if the Times piece said you had um, 3,000 subscribers, roughly 35,000 weekly listeners. So obviously the weekly listeners takes a jump with that um, Times article. I would assume the uh, the subscribers did. Did you find that they stuck around? Like once you got that initial, you know, people read this, they got excited, 
they clicked on the subscribe button? Have they stuck around or did you see any regression? Yeah, I think I think a lot of them have stuck around. I mean, there, there'll, there'll always be some people that, that think, actually, I didn't enjoy that. That's not for me. Um, but I think the way we've always viewed it is if we think if people come and listen, we reckon they'll probably stay um, because we, well, we hope it's a good show and, and people like the, the kind of chemistry, I suppose, and the, and the way the way we do it. And that is born out and i think what matt did in his new york times piece is try to get across what we are which is a, a combination of of people who love the sport and who cover it but are also critical of it when it needs to be criticized and trying to do real journalism within it i think it's an incredible medium podcast and i think it's largely untapped i think there's so much more that can be done with it um and we're trying to do as much as we can not just having a conversation but ultimately we know that people just love the the kind of pub chat about what's going on in the sport but definitely people people have stuck around and and you know it's a it's a thrill really to to know that people read that and then started listening all right matt roberts um you started as uh as david mentioned um as the show's uh, Twitter intern, a lot of people actually seem to start many times in uh, in this business as a Twitter intern. Um, and so, you know, you're the youngest of this group. You're actually interesting as a trio in that three of you are all from different, legitimately different generations, just chronologically, you know, based on when you when you were uh, when you were born. And so, um, so Matt, I want to ask you this: like, you know, having listened. Like, to me, I think the best part of your podcast, while you're all tennis experts, I mean, I think that's very clear. You follow sport passionately. You'd be in the 1% of people who know tennis in the world. Like, it's the inter- it's the interplay between the three of you. It's like saying something that might not even have anything to do with tennis. You guys just filmed something where you're basically drinking as you're podcasting. And I think people appreciate that it's just like three people who may be sitting at a restaurant somewhere uh, talking tennis. From your perspective, Matt, especially with David and... Uh, Catherine having long established uh, careers in tennis. How have you found uh, your way to sort of um, find whatever your place is, at least on air, on the show? Yeah, well, I think you've really hit on what was probably the hardest thing for me coming into the podcast in that, yes, I'd been an intern. I'd sort of worked behind the scenes with Catherine and David for a few years before they put a microphone in my hand but I was very aware that a lot of people liked the show because it was Catherine and David and they had a chemistry and they'd worked together for about 10 years at that point so my coming in was going to change the dynamic a little bit and I was really sort of self-aware and conscious about that you know I sort of backed my tennis knowledge I suppose but how would I fit in with both of them on the air and I think I think a big thing was just spending more time with them you know up to then a lot of my interaction with them have been on messenger or on whatsapp or something whereas actually spending time in person i realized that you know we've actually got very similar senses of humor and we actually all you know we really get along and hopefully then the podcast just sort of becomes just a conversation between the three of us and and people like listening to that and then i think i suppose i sort of slightly forged the role as the guy who was keen on the stats or on the facts and doing lots of research and then I guess we sort of play on that a little bit now that that's sort of part of my role on the team and I sort of carved out that little niche a bit as well see the thing is Richard Matt rhymes with stats (laughs) (laughs) nice 
I think the great thing is the three of you are truly from Queens, and you're putting on these British accents, which is absolutely incredible to me. David, I want to um, I want to ask you about this. Um, you you know, in in the back and forth when we're setting this thing up, you had told me that Billy Jean King's company, BJK Enterprises, uh, agreed to represent both the podcast and Catherine. Uh, for the uh, audience who does not know. Um, Catherine does work on Amazon Prime Video in the UK, tennis work. So if you were in that country and you were a hardcore tennis fan and you had Amazon Prime Video, you'd see her in the same way in the US. Um, you know, you'll see uh, whoever, Mary, Joe Fernandez, Chris Everett, uh, Pam Schreiber, etc. Um, so, but to get to Billie Jean King Enterprises, like that was very interesting to me when you told me that. And I was wondering... For the podcast, like, what did that mean? Or what does that mean in terms of, like, does it get you better advertising? It certainly gets you uh, connections with Billie Jean King, just given who she knows in the sport. But but what does it actually mean in, in terms of the building of the podcast? Well, it's still pretty recent, Richard. I mean, to, to just go back to how that all happened is Billie Jean got introduced to the podcast started listening and then we got to know we ended up getting a big interview with her and realized that she has this company that is also um, part of her uh, she has Alana Klaas her partner who's looking after that company and and representing various athletes that's what that what they want to grow and then we were at a stage with Catherine already presenting for Amazon Prime Video, but looking for other opportunities, um, new new ways to open new doors. We realized that that is a business that they were in and could do the same for the podcast as well. So definitely in terms of advertising and sponsorship, they're talking to people who we just would never be able to get to, I think is the, is the important point. I, I always used to do those things. And yes, we had some success and we've certainly built an audience and, and that kind of thing. But Billie Jean King Enterprises are just talking to big companies and, and, and their f- phone calls are picked up immediately in a way that I don't think ours would be. And like I say, it's early days, but already we can see that it's putting us in front of people that otherwise wouldn't know about us. Yeah, that uh, you are correct. I mean, you know, David Law can make a call, but it's very different in terms of the possibilities that Billie, uh, Billie Jean King's name and or her uh, her business name, I guess, can can get you to. this. Uh, Catherine, I'll go to you. David, you're certainly welcome to, to weigh in afterwards. One of the things that was interesting to me about or is interesting to me about your podcast, and Futterman did hit on it, is the, the growing influence it has – um, within tennis circles. When I worked at Sports Illustrated, and I was uh, like the junior reporter behind Scott Price and John Wertheim, so people should know my, you know, be, be uh, I am realistic about my role, but people should know what it was. I was part of, quote unquote, part of the team. But the one thing about our coverage was like, if SI wrote something, particularly like in the late 90s and, and uh, mid 2000s, and I'm sorry, or, uh, you know, the, the 2000s range in tennis, like it carried a lot of weight. Like people in the sport talked about it. Um, if tennis was ever on the cover, it was like a really, really big deal. And so whenever I think about tennis, like I certainly think about the New York Times or BBC or Le Keep or even ESPN, they're all influential places for tennis. Do you have a sense, Catherine, like how influential your podcast is right now within the um you know sort of the conversations that exist within the sport very difficult to quantify but um 
it it feels like a lot of people listen within the industry and i i think potentially for for research purposes as much as anything i mean i listen to i listen to podcasts as a sort of cheat code for research and i think other people do the same you know i get a lot of people particularly at this slam because it's uh, it's out in in queens and most people that work at it stay in flushing and everybody always tells us oh it's your podcast is the perfect length for the uh, for the bus journey in um so you know we just we fill people's time you know that would otherwise be dead time um but yeah i do i I think there's so much flexibility and freedom to the medium that doesn't exist in other forms of forms of tennis media that we we have space to talk about stuff that isn't talked about elsewhere and in a way that might not be possible elsewhere um and i'm not sure there's anyone else doing that in tennis you know i listen i listen to other podcasts in other sports um and that combination of freedom and considered opinion i find very potent and i I like to think that that's what we offer in tennis and you know i'm not saying that's unique that other people don't have that but i think you know we package it in a pretty pretty unique way yeah and and on that subject of being kind of not we're not the only tennis podcast that is out there but we are the longest established um in other sports pretty much I, i tend to pick one and in in American football and NFL, it is the around the NFL podcast. In golf, it is the No Laying Up podcast. We're all big fans of that, and and I don't follow those sports religiously myself, but I but I like them, and then I want to find out what those shows have got to say about it because that helps form my opinion of it as a, as a viewer and a listener. Um, and I suppose to some people we are that, um, and and that's that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, you have, I think, a very big advantage for being, uh, for lack of a better phrase, first movers in the space. But good on you. Like, you were you were grinding it with seven listeners, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, like, you deserved the fact that you were a uh, part of that. I, ha- ironically, if somebody had sort of seen it, you know, when you first started, like a, like a ringer type of uh, podcast network, you know, who knows how crazy your um, numbers could be. Also, conversely, you now... Uh, you guys are the proprietaries of this, so you don't have to share it with anyone. Uh, Catherine, you mentioned, um, I think it was Catherine who mentioned this, uh, or if it was David, my for, forgive me. But you know, sort of talking about like the the value of getting a viral moment. Maybe it was David, and just how hard like it is to do that when it comes to podcasting. I can obviously certainly attest to that. But one thing that did happen, Catherine, on your podcast was Pam Shriver who I'm really, really fond of, who's been on this podcast before. She first went public, um, I believe, or certainly in the audio space, uh, when it came to like her personal story and revelation about her longtime coach, uh, Don Candy, uh, got involved with her, totally emotionally abusive, damaging relationship, uh, you know, 50-year-old man um, involved with a, a 17, 18 year old, uh, women's tennis player. And that got a lot of attention. Um, you know, I know Pam then further told the story elsewhere, including, I think to her employee, uh, employer ESPN, but that, that I wonder for, from your perspective, Catherine, that, that seemed to be a very big moment for your podcast. If nothing else that like, you know, here's a major figure in the sport of tennis 
who felt comfortable enough with you guys to tell the story. Definitely. It was incredibly significant, actually, Richard. Um, the, we knew she was a listener and we'd, we'd developed a bit of a, a relationship with her. And, and yet still, you know, this is a story that um, I don't know exactly how old Pam is and she probably wouldn't want me to disclose it anyway on this podcast. Um, but she's held this in for a long, long time. It was however big a deal it is for for us to be the the place that she's told that story it is a way bigger deal for her to be telling that story at all and i i did that interview with her in a in an empty commentary booth in indian wells and i was prepared for it we'd done a lot of research you know i, I knew what was coming she had she'd really laid the groundwork for for what she wanted to do and it's something she had thought about so long and hard and yet i was still completely floored by by that hour and a half and and what she disclosed and the trust that she she placed in me in that conversation and um it was incredibly powerful i think we don't yet know how how powerful her telling that story will be she certainly wants it to be the start of something um and we want the same and this it is incredible moment of of validation for us because we we want to be setting the agenda we want to be breaking stories not in a not as not in a salacious twitter way but we want to be talking about the stuff that matters to us you know and and setting those exactly exactly as i said setting those agendas and it felt like a real watershed moment for for us it feels i, I don't feel comfortable you know talking about that perfect experience that horrible experience for Pam in terms of you know how great it's going to be for for us and our agenda setting but um, it did feel like a huge moment of validation and hopefully something we can we can do a lot more of in the future that's that's something I feel very strongly about yeah I appreciate uh, the sensitive uh, way you guys handled that um, David uh, and Matt you're welcome to pop into this as well um, regarding the the names of in the sport, whether that's someone like Pam Shriver or Chris Everett, I believe has been on the podcast, you know, names from yesteryear, uh, as well as the current players today. I know that you guys, generally speaking, don't do guests. It's more the three of you than anything else. But as this podcast has now grown and as this profile, this podcast clearly has gotten bigger, is it your intention to maybe I don't know every five seven episodes try to reach out to um, I don't even know rant like Medvedev's people or Sissipas's people or um, Angie Kerber you know what I mean I'll just I'll just use these people as sort of uh, uh, as my examples to get them on not necessarily for the entire podcast but to do segments with them I know that other podcast that's a traditional format for other sport podcasts but how do you see it because I do feel like you're now at the the place in terms of awareness where the players, if not the players, certainly their agents absolutely are familiar with the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point, Richard. I mean, the funny thing is when we go back to the, the original format of the show, I was convinced that we needed players to be on it in order for people to listen. I, th I just didn't think people are going to want to listen to Catherine and me having a conversation every week about tennis. Catherine was convinced 
otherwise she thought that there was that was the sort of show she liked listening to so we ended up having a compromise for the first six months and i i would arrange through sort of contacts to try and get a guest on carlos moyer and we got john mcenroe on and all sorts of things and we we do we basically did both and then we kind of ran out of guests of people that i could think of to invite on but what we also found was that actually what people seem to really want to listen to is just have us having a chat about what's going on in tennis that that's kind of what grew the audience and it didn't seem to make that much difference who if we did get a big name guest on and in fact the audience would often be lower than when we were just having our weekly chat or and now dailies during the grand slams but going forwards i think now as we've grown it and given ourselves more potential to do more things you know we've we've got a, a you mentioned the 3000 subscribers that we have that's a sort of a paid bonus element to it where we can do more we do nostalgic shows called tennis relived we've we've just done done one of the last hour about jimmy connor's run in 1991 and we got guests on that you know and and built out a kind of almost documentary style hour of of listening we want to do more and Catherine's interview with Pam on on that incredibly important subject we we kind of want to be all of this but big name interviews is part of it it's just it's not it doesn't we don't have to do it I don't think for for, for growth but I really do love doing a big interview as well you know with some of these people so I mentioned that I think this still exists right you can be what you guys call a friend of the podcast where you um you you purchase subscriptions where you pay a certain fee each month, and that gets you, uh, like what in, you know, in, in the in the U.S. they'd call like bonus content, like that kind of yeah. stuff. That's right. Okay. All right. And that is, um, I think it's five. Looks like here as I'm looking at the site, five euros. Would that be? Do I have to? Tra- if I'm an American, do I uh, do I translate that into my currency and then? Yeah, it's translated. It's actually five pounds a month or fifty pounds a year is the starting point for it. I mean, basically, as you you probably be familiar with from your own experience, one of the it's one thing to record a podcast and put it out there and try and build an audience. It's another thing to try to make any money out of it. It's it's really really difficult. And advertising is is the traditional method. More recently, subscription um, platforms have become more um the thing that happens you know with the athletic that you work for that's that's that sort of platform as well and we've we've cut about five years ago we started a, a crowdfunding um platform through kickstarter and we did that year upon year to kind of fund the next year and then we kind of got to a point where we we realized we can't keep asking listeners for more money for no for no extra content so that's when we decided this year to set up a subscription system which gives bonus content for those that do pay and you know it's it's really up to them whether they want to do it um and i mean the response has been beyond frankly my wildest dreams i think partially it's we are trying to genuinely give them better stuff or or more stuff we've done 20 extra podcasts this year um q a's with us that sort of sort of thing in addition to the tennis relived nostalgic shows um but I mean, I think there's also a sense that they can see what we're doing with what we make. We're, we're, we've gone to all four of the Grand Slams. We've we've been on site. We've tried to do daily shows. You know, this is a this is a really big deal to to us. And and I think that they feel that that it's worth that they want to support us. They want to back that and keep it going. 
Yeah, good on you guys. I mean, I you know never apologize for that. People want to be part of a community. You guys do good work, and I think slowly but surely, um, the public that's that's capital P across globally, like sort of understands that like you know journalism costs money, editorial costs money. Like this stuff isn't unfortunately was given away for free for a long time. But you know, you guys are. I'm talking to you right now. You're in the U.S. Open new uh, newsroom. That that's a flight from. The UK to New York. There's hotels involved. There's equipment involved. These, you know, the it, it costs money to produce this stuff. So uh, for anybody who is interested, uh, thetennispodcast.net, www.thetennispodcast.net. Head over there um, and check out what they're offering. A couple more here, Matt. I'm going to bring you back in. I mean, you've talked so much in this podcast. I I, I feel like I need to. Uh, to uh, direct a question to you. You know, one of the things, again, in listening to your last episode, it's very clear, very clear, and understandably so, that Novak Djokovic will be a topic of yours early, but Serena Williams could be a topic for the two weeks, even, you know, knock, you know, knock on wood, it doesn't happen, but, you know, if and when she gets knocked out. So when you're thinking, uh, Matt, about sort of content on a daily basis at the start of the Open... Um, how do you think about it? Because you have these two major stories, I feel like, that top everything, and that's Novak not being there, and obviously the the very likely prospect, this is Serena's not only last tournament, but certainly last major. But then you have the entire draw. Like, every, you know, you are the tennis podcast, so you have everybody else who's in the draw. There's a lot of interesting first-round matches. I know you guys get deep enough where you'll even talk about, you know, doubles and juniors and stuff like that. So editorially, how are you thinking about this? Because you have these two mega stories that top everything, yet you got to cover all the other stuff too. Well, that's really the beauty of the Grand Slams, to be honest, and being here. Because, you know, there's three of us. We can try and spread ourselves across as much as we possibly can and be, I just think, the eyes and ears of our listeners, you know, who... who who can't be here. And of course, the Novak Djokovic story is a big one for the lead-in. All the players will have been asked about that a lot today, I'm sure, on media day. And Serena Williams is going to absolutely be, I'm sure, leading our podcast on Monday when when she plays. And every day she plays, Serena is going to be the lead. There's, there's just no doubt about that. And I think the sort of echoes of her first match will sort of linger throughout the tournament as well and I think have a big effect on the sort of emotional state of the tournament and you know depending on what Serena does that will dictate how people are feeling and what they're following but for us really we often joke about not having enough you know pairs of eyes to follow all the tennis during the first day of a Grand Slam and personally that's what I love the most you know I I will probably be out on court 14 on Monday watching an outside court match rather than necessarily Daniil Medvedev winning in straight sets on the opening day because to me as a tennis fan and I think that's that's one of our big things we're all tennis fans we're not we're not people who did something else and then got into tennis no we all wanted to get in to tennis and we have done and I think our listeners sort of like that passion for it so for me it's it's absolutely massive that yes there are big stories but we need to cover the we know we need to cover the tournament and the tournament is the outside courts as much as it is the show courts and as the tennis podcast we need to be covering that as well so when i'm thinking about what's what's on the order of play i'm really looking everywhere rather than necessarily just the biggest stories yeah the good on you for that the the, the first couple of days of uh, the US Open were always incredible just to be able to have the press pass and 
to walk around the outside courts and see, uh, you know, like really great players, but because there were so many matches that had to be played, um, you know, they weren't playing at Arthur Ashe or anything like that. The the U.S. Open this year, um, I mean, no one has certainly talked about it starting uh, at the beginning of the tournament, but Venus Williams has a match uh, in round one that's really, really fascinating as everybody focuses on her sister. Catherine, I want to... Um, we're, this podcast uh, will come out next week, and there probably will be people who will listen to this certainly after Monday. Um, if you had to make a prediction right now, Catherine, I'll put you on the spot. What is your expectation? What is a realistic expectation for Serena Williams um, in this tournament? The the the, this, the uh, draw did come out. I think it might even come out today as we're taping this on Friday. She plays Danka Kovinovich. I probably mispronounced that. I can't tell you anything about her game if she does win then she'd go on to uh play the number two seed um in the in the tournament so it's pretty interesting draw how do you see it Catherine well is this your way of exposing the fact that predictions are what we are worst at on uh, on the tennis podcast um yeah we (laughs) we are bad at them and we are well aware that we are bad at them um I am so torn on how to answer this question because I'm such a romantic with sport and, you know, we do, or David rather, does a lot of polls on our Twitter, you know, who's going to win this match? And at the bottom, he always writes, use your head, not your heart. And I am sometimes with sport unable to distinguish my head from from my heart. And that's the beauty of sport, I think. If, If we watch sport operating only with our heads, then it wouldn't be a whole lot of fun. So my heart so desperately wants a Jimmy Connors 1991-esque run for Serena Williams this year and my heart tells me that she's the greatest tennis player of all time and anything is possible. She's done things before that seemed impossible. She won a Grand Slam whilst two months pregnant in 2017. Nobody's ever done that before and yet what I'm seeing with my eyes tells me that isn't possible and actually Danka Kovinic in the first round is the heavy favourite. Um, so I guess the answer is, ah, I think it's unlikely that she will make it to the second week. I think it might be unlikely that she'll win that first round, but I could so easily be wrong and I so desperately want to be wrong. That's well said. Uh, like you, I would love to see it. Uh, perhaps like you, uh, Patrick McEnroe and Aaron Crickstein are not walking through that door <laughs> to use the... Connor's cliche. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hate to say it. I think Serena's going to lose in the first round. I really would like to be wrong, but if we're doing the hard head game, I have to go with my, I have to go with my head. I'll go around. What do you think, David? Uh, how do you, you know, you've watched Serena the last couple of weeks. Supposedly she, um, you know, from from reports, looks looks a lot better, like in the last couple of days than maybe from what we've seen her, but. Without a lot of match play, I just think that's a big ask, particularly for against a top 100 player. Yeah, it, it is a big ask because, you know, I sort of thought maybe given that she's playing a couple of leading events, she might be able to get a bit of rhythm, get on a roll, get some form, stay fit and be Serena Williams for a, for a week and a half and, you know, remind us exactly who she used to be. But... The, it doesn't pass the eye test at the moment what what it's been like in recent weeks she she's looked impeded physically and if you can't get to the ball the way you used to it's it's going to be really difficult to win tennis matches at the same time she has looked better i think 
while she's been practicing this week and i don't know i think she's gonna win the first round i'm just gonna say one thing to add to that which is that the it's really struck me recently how incredible the depth of women women's tennis is at, at the moment it it's it's improved so vastly in the last 10 years a lot of people listening almost everybody listening will not know who Danka Kovanic is but she's a damn good tennis player despite never really having made an impact at the top of the game and that's because the depth is so improved in women's tennis and that is so much because of Serena Williams so if Danka Kovanic does win uh, on Monday night and Serena Williams bows out in the first round there will be still some beauty to it what do you what do you think Matt Matt do you want to weigh on this or do you want to weigh on the uh Francisco Sorondolo match against Andy Murray I mean I'll I'll, I'll, I'll let you do whatever you want here well just to pick up on the Serena conversation I mean I walked out onto the Arthur Ashe Stadium today, the very top of it, and you look down on it, and that is an intimidating stadium. And that was when it was empty. You know, it's going to be full on Monday night. And I just think that might come into it. Like, can Danka Kovanic play her best tennis in that environment? Is she is she the sort of personality that is going to embrace being the one to end Serena Williams's career? Truthfully, I don't know enough about Danka Kovanic to know, but kind of... I always think of Roberta Vinci when she beat Serena, uh, you know, when Serena was going for the calendar <laughs> I Grand covered that Slam. match. Right. I wrote, for that. I, wrote, I wrote that one for SI.com. I remember that very, very well. Right. Yep. And she really embraced that role. You know, she was putting her, her finger to her ear and getting the crowd involved. And, and she was an awkward opponent. I just, I don't know whether Danka Kovanic is that person and the sort of aura and presence of Serena Williams, which has probably got her through quite a lot of matches in her career. I think it might just get her through one more. But, you know, tennis-wise, I do I do agree with the assessment of David and Catherine. Like, her tennis hasn't been getting better as she's been playing some matches this summer. And I expected that it would. So I just I just don't think her game is in particularly great shape. But, you know, you just, you just do not count her out. Yeah, and you are right about the uh, intimidation of Ash. I mean... Uh the only thing more daunting is not to be annoyed by all the rich people online getting $24 lobster rolls at the food court. Otherwise, it might be the uh, it might be the Arthur Ashe uh, thing. All right, let me leave you with this. And I'll start with you, David. And don't, like, fall back on the whole, like, I, uh, like you know, uh, the, the traditional British, oh, I, I don't want to be super... Um, boastful or oh i don't want to put some kind of gigantic goal out there be more like an american here totally give me give me the give me the greed and the commercialism and everything else um ideally if you and Catherine and matt can could draw this up where would you want this podcast to be five years from now if by the way if in quote unquote it's even a podcast as opposed to a multimedia empire yeah well i mean i I suppose the in terms of an audience number, I always sort of hoped mon- one day we might get to a hundred thousand listeners. I, that seems like an incredible number to me, um, and one that used to seem impossible, but it's still a, a long way off for us. But we we've done, we've grown recently, and I think that, that that might be possible one day. The main goal for me is, you know, when we started this ten years ago, I, I had several other jobs 
one of which I still do now. I do still do some commentary and I, I do enjoy that. But the biggest goal of the lot is for us to be able to say what we want on the tennis podcast without really worrying about the consequences because I don't work for other people. And I want Catherine and Matt to be able to, you know, pick and choose what else they want to do in life because the tennis podcast is doing well. Um, I mean, Catherine is is a TV presenter, as you said, on Amazon Prime Video. She's actually incredibly good at it. Um, and she's going to get loads more opportunities, I'm sure, in the future because she's that good. But the podcast is a labor of love for us. We just want to be able to carry on growing it and being able to do it and making it work. That's that is the main goal that I've got with it to be honest. Catherine, if uh, if you if you ever hit that mark, David's talking about 100,000 listeners like that. You love New York. You might be looking at a flat on Riverside Drive. <laughs> so that's not a bad goal. What do you how do you see it? I don't know, Richard, but the lobster rolls have gone up to $31 around this place. So oh, <laughs> I Catherine. think you know, I will say I'll let the audience know this because I, you know, I, I, I'm obviously playing you know Johnny Blue Collar here. Um, the U.S. Open did at least when I covered uh, my last U.S. Open, which was before I moved to Toronto in 2018. You know, they were still giving press like a $20 food voucher or something to that effect. So yeah, like the prices are obscene. But if you were a press person and went outside, you know, you you did have some. Um, you know, it was reduced. The cost was reduced a little bit. Do they? Are, is the U.S. Open still doing that, or, uh, or, or if you decide to go among the hoi polloi, you got to pay the, the the large freight? How does that work these days? No intel gathering from today, which was a a a, a major priority for us, tells us that we get twenty five dollars on our badge, okay. which so can be used in the food court. Moved it up, so nice. you can buy approximately three quarters of a lobster roll <laughs> per day to sustain to sustain you throughout a 14 hour shift Ooh, so um no get the violins out for us we're we're yeah, at the us all, open talking all, about I tennis mean, it's the worst of first world problems in the history of first world uh, <laughs> problems. i will say this this is one thing that um um i'm sure you guys have sort of uh, indulged in this and f- my audience can forgive me for sort of like you know romanticizing my time covering this but but tennis was the thing i uh, dreamed about covering in si i was very fortunate to cover as many uh, tennis uh, tournaments as i did but one of the things i did love is after a long long day that we would put in myself and scott price and uh my buddy Drew Lawrence or whoever else was working at SI at the time. You could go out uh, when like the last match at Arthur Ashe was still going on and head to like a bar. Uh, you know, the, they had the US Open at a certain point had built very, very fancy bars on the on the ground. And you could sit and just like watch the match on the big screen. Like you're drinking wine on someone else's dime. Uh, that was pretty nice. I did, and like the the weather in New York in late August had a little bit of a chill in the air, which was nice. It wasn't so oppressively hot. So uh, I never, I, I always, uh, I feel like I always recognized like I was a very privileged person for actually getting paid to be in that position. And I'm sure for you guys, after long days of doing your podcast or long days of of covering stuff, you uh, you appreciate it because you covering the Grand Slams, honestly, it really is a privilege. I mean, you're one of these world's most beautiful cities and you're watching an incredible sport. And uh, there are so many people who would love to be in that position. Yeah, you've just described my plans for Monday night. I'm um, <laughs> I'm, sa- I'm saving up now and hopefully I'll be able to afford one Frosé at, at $21 Oof. come Monday night. 
love that. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you see Wertheim in the press room. Just ask him. I mean, the guy has 18 jobs. <laughs> he has, probably has stocks just falling out of his uh, his pants. <laughs> just pick one of those stocks up that probably will fall from him. All right, is there anything else, David, that uh, you wanted to add before we go? You've been asking me to do this for a long time. I probably should have done it beforehand because I feel horrible now. Like somehow, oh, you got profiled in the New York Times, and now this asshole wants to have us on. So yeah, I, what's okay? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, it's not a bad, I mean, it's not an unfair thing to say to me, even though um, you know that I'm a legit tennis fan, so it's not like I wouldn't have you guys on uh, anyway. But is there anything else you wanted to add? Feel free to promote um, what you guys are doing. I have, again, as someone who's been in this, my position, I have incredible admiration for what you guys have built. It is so, so, I wouldn't it's it just, it's a real grind. And you guys have now gotten to the point in the grind where you're getting some of the spoils, which I think is just awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I, I have been listening to you for goodness knows how many years because I, I enjoy hearing the process that other media people and creators, and I've heard, I've heard some different people who've done podcasts come on your show, and, and it, I, just, I am fascinated by the medium and the process myself. Um, and for us, essentially, it is a labor of love. That's what it's always been. We're talking about tennis. And I'm talking about tennis with two people I get on famously with. Um, so we get to spend time together. And, and if people enjoy listening to that, then to me, I, I can't really believe my luck. And that's always the way I've approached it. Um, and we're just going to carry on doing that. We, we're going to be doing nightly shows here at the US Open. We're going to be then weekly thereafter. Um, and yeah, we love doing this and, and it's it's brilliant so thank you so much for, for hearing about it from us alright Catherine Whitaker David Law Matt Roberts they are the trio the co-hosts of the tennis podcast which uh, I mean the Hoi Polloi New York Times has called these guys the conscience of the game and how the sport communicates with itself I mentioned the website before if you head on there um, you can always get their podcast which is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Acast and some other places. And again, if you really love tennis, um, consider uh, uh, becoming a friend of their podcast, which again, um, uh, subscriptions start for them at, uh, uh, you know, five, uh, five pounds, five euros, whatever it is these days, a month. You can convert that obviously into whatever your denomination is and you'll get uh, extra stuff. But they've really, really, it's a very, very fun listen. They obviously really, really like each other. Hardest part of all this stuff is to find chemistry with your coast, and they got it. Uh, Catherine, Matt, David, I wish you guys the best of luck. Have a great two-plus weeks in uh, New York, and thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so Our pleasure. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to everybody at the Tennis Podcast for popping on. I enjoyed that conversation. Always great to uh, talk to people with British accents, uh, particularly if you're an American or uh, Canadian. Head to the archives. There should be something that um, you'll enjoy. I had a recent emergency podcast about the Big Ten's television rights with Stu Mandel. Conversation with John Wertheim and Scott Price on covering Serena Williams, as both of those two did for 15-plus uh, years. Secrets of writing for the WWE and a professional wrestling company with Brian Gortz. Rise of the Black Quarterback with Jason Reed. What happens next with Brittany Griner? Conversation with Dr. Danny Gilbert, who is a U.S. hostage policy expert. Joe Buck on Vin Scully. Again, there should be stuff in the archives that uh, you'll appreciate and like and uh, should still hold up even if you didn't hear them on the first go-around. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thank you to everybody at Cadence 13 for their support. 
Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.